Well, hello, sisterhood. It's so good to see you. Um, and of course, we want to welcome all of our campuses that are watching with us as well. Uh, we are on lesson number five of our study of the unseen journey. And we've been talking about finding a promise from the word and then trusting the Lord as we walk through our times of testing in that middle of the journey. That's what we've been talking about. And in theory, it's a simple thing to do, but in the natural, it's not that easy because faith doesn't have anything to do with the natural world. The natural world deals with the seen, and it uses our five senses that we have, that we were created to um, figure out what's going on in the physical world. And our five senses aren't evil, they're actually gifts from God. I mean, we have sight and hearing, smell, touch, and taste, right? These are amazing. So the problem isn't with our senses and the way that they operate, but the problem lies within how much, um, how much authority we give those senses. Now, a good illustration of this is the evolution of what it means to be a news reporter. So when the evening news first came to be back in the 1940s, it consisted of a 15-minute um, news report. So they basically just reported exactly what was happening, only the facts. They told their listeners what happened in the world, but they didn't assign any meaning to it. Now we can fast forward through decades, many decades, right? And we have a very different scenario. We have way too much news. We have news 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on multiple channels, and with so much time to fill, it's inevitable that some opinion got brought in, right? At first, the reporters would attempt to be balanced and unbiased, but over time, that has just been done away with, and now we have news reports that are more like commentaries. We don't just hear the facts, but we hear them with meaning attached to them. We're not just told what happened, we're told how to think about what happened. Fact has become blurred by opinion, and these supposed reporters have now actually become commentators, and they're given way too much power over how we perceive our world. In the same way, we've given our senses, these natural world reporters, too much power as well. We've elevated their reports to a level of importance that they weren't intended to have. Our senses were created to report the natural facts, but we've made them the final authority on all truth. We've allowed them to attach commentary to what's going on in our circumstances and in our world. For example, science deals with our world, and it's basically the study of everything that we can perceive with our five senses. Science is good, and viewed from a Christian perspective, science is actually the study of God's creation, and it's amazing. But science is limited because it only deals with the natural world. We can only study what our senses can report. And in our failure to acknowledge that there's an unseen world out there, um, we've elevated that science again to a place where the reports are giving us a level of importance that they shouldn't have. In a sense, we've given science a godlike status because we've allowed the study of natural things to become the only type of truth. Now we've forgotten that there's an unseen world, and the unseen world is far more important than the seen one is. And we have to understand that there's more that can re be reported by just our five senses before we can exercise faith. Because again, faith doesn't have anything to do with our senses. There is an unseen world. 
There's a seen world and an unseen world, and you have to choose which one you will pay more attention to. Now, the choice should be obvious, but the problem is we don't really think about it. We only know about the unseen world through the Bible, and our senses can't access it except to read it and hear it, but our emotions respond to whatever we focus our attention on. And usually we focus our attention on the things that we can see and feel and taste and touch, right? But the Holy Spirit reveals the truth in the word to our hearts. And as he does, we can ultimately get to the point where we're more aware of the unseen world than we are of the seen. And we access that unseen world through faith. We're able to see things that are unseen. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, Paul was exercising perspective here because he had problems, obviously, just like we all do. His natural world was full of them. His five senses all pointed to the fact that his body was perishing, his outward man was, was dying, but he had trained his, uh, uh, his senses to note that his affliction was just light. And that's not trivial in the fact of all the afflictions that Paul faced in his life. He said everything seen is temporary. While the things unseen, the things that we discount or disregard every day, those are eternal. So think about that. Everything that we see is temporary. Everything that we strive for materially to afford and maintain is temporary. The material possessions, even our body, despite the time you know, we can put into exercising and eating right and trying to stall the effects of time, right? You know, think of all the Botox and all the facelifts and all the things that everyone does to try to stay young. It's all temporary. It's all going to fade away. But the inward man, the part of you that you can't see, is being renewed day by day. Your inward man is unseen, but it's eternal. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 8, and 9, For physical training is of some value, it's useful for a little, but godliness, spiritual training, is useful and of value in everything and every way, for it holds promise for the present life and also for the life which is to come. This saying is reliable and worthy of complete acceptance by everybody. So Paul's essentially saying here that, look, go ahead and exercise your body, train it, it will profit you a little, there's some value in that, but spiritual training is even better it will not only benefit you here, but it will profit you in e for eternal life. He said, what I'm telling you is reliable. Everyone can count on it as being worthy advice. So you're better off disciplining your mind than your body. You're better off training your senses than your muscles. Now again, I'm not saying don't exercise, okay? It's great to exercise, but when you think about it, I've had mornings where I'm like, oh, I don't have time to do both. Should I work out or should I do my soap? Should I get, do my devotions, right? And it's like, what profits me more? One day of exercise or getting into the word? It's so much more important. So we can thank God for our five senses. They are wonderful gifts from God. They give us so much joy. Think about it. Think about this beautiful creation that we get to see with our eyes. Think about the, the beauty that we get to hear in music and the things that we hear. 
We get to touch others, our family, our children. We get to smell beautiful smells like um, the ocean or great perfume, maybe um, coffee in the morning. I know this morning I woke up to Rob making his coffee and I love the smell of coffee. I don't love the taste of it, but I love the smell of it. Now, of course, if it has lots of chocolate in it, which brings me to taste, then it's amazing. So our senses are awesome. But always remember that there's another world, a world where these senses can't access. And for that reason, our senses, as wonderful as they are, they have to be trained so that they're not dominated by the natural world. We need to train our senses. Now, according to the writer of Hebrews, to be considered a mature believer, you must train your senses. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Our senses have to be taught to discern between good and evil. When we train them, we can teach our emotions and our minds not to get caught up in our natural circumstances. To give more importance to the unseen world, you have to disregard your five senses. Now, since your senses are designed to tell you about what's happening in the world, obviously we can't you know, cut them off, that's, that's silly but you can train them to discern the difference between good and evil. And what does this look like? Let's look at an example. I, how many of you have tried to sleep maybe at a hotel or at someone's home that is either right by an airport or maybe by railroad tracks? Anyone? Yeah. Well, when we were youth pastors in Milwaukee, one summer we took our youth group on a choir tour out to the East Coast. And so we took a bus full of teenagers and we um, made our way out to the East Coast and it was summer so it was hot and we, one night we were staying in Pennsylvania and Rob and I got put up in this home and we had just done the concert that night so we were tired, it was hot, we were hungry and we went back to this home and um, we, we came inside and they kind of showed us around and they offered us some grapes and um, some cheese, I remember. Grapes and cheese, we were starving, but that's what they offered us. They also had uh, a home filled with cats. And the grapes and cheese just happened to have some cat hair on them. And so we were, again, tired, hungry, hot, no air conditioning in this home that we were staying in. And we were in an upstairs bedroom, but we decided we were so tired, let's just go to bed, it was around 11.30. So we lay down and fell asleep, and at midnight, we woke up to the house literally shaking and rumbling. We thought we were in an earthquake. I mean, we were so scared. We're like, what is going on? And we jumped out of bed, and there's lights and, and sounds going off, and we literally thought it was like the end, like Jesus is coming right now. And it was crazy, and we figured out after a few minutes that the house must have been placed like a foot off of the railroad tracks which of course we didn't see the night before because it was dark when we got there. So, I mean, our, we had a heart attack practically, so we lay down, go back to sleep, 1 a.m., here comes the train. The house literally shaking, rumbling, and rattling. Every hour, 
on the hour for the rest of the night this train came through. It was probably my worst night I've ever had in my life. And in the morning, we kind of um, make our way downstairs to the kitchen. We feel like we've been hit by a Mack truck, right? And we're like, so, you, you got some trains. Trains around here, and they're like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. We, we, we forgot to tell you, we're so used to it. We, didn't, we don't even think about it anymore. I'm like, are you kidding me? How in the world does that happen? That you can get so used to something that you don't even wake up when your house is practically falling apart. Well, it's amazing, but we can actually train our brains, right, to overcome something like that. So over time, your brain learns that a particular sound doesn't warrant your attention, and you're able to sleep through it. It's, it's incredible. But contrast that to a mom of a new baby, right? A lot of us are moms in here. And when our baby cries in the night, what do we do? We get up. And even though we hear that same sound every night, night after night, we don't train our brains to turn that off, right? Because we know it's important and we need to take care of that need. So we can train our brains not to hear a train and we can train our brains to still hear our child crying every night. Isn't it amazing how our husbands can train their brain not to hear that child? crying in the night. Can you not hear that? They're screaming, huh? No. So let's look at an example of a trained senses in the Bible. And of course, our best example is Jesus. He was an amazing example of having perfectly trained senses. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now then, they had left the multitude. They took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus had trained his senses to know that when the report was contrary to the word of God or to know when he was in danger, he would wake up. But since he knew they weren't in danger, he knew they weren't gonna die, he was able to be asleep on the pillow. He had taught his, his senses to discern between good and evil. So trained senses focus on the promises of God. When contrary circumstances present themselves, we can get to the place where we don't even pay attention to them. We're too enamored with the real truth to give them any consideration. And when we get to this point, our senses are put back in their proper place. They report what they need to about the natural world so that we can take care of it, but they quit telling us what to get worked up about and what to pay attention to. They quit insisting that God isn't true or faithful. They no longer tell us that we need to be worried or afraid or full of doubt. Our senses no longer have God-like status. We end up living lives full of peace and joy because we're focused on the unseen realm. So properly trained senses might say, your bank account is getting low. But they don't say, panic, you have no money. Get a second job, right? Worry, worry, worry. Well-trained eyes simply report the low balance and let faith in God and his wisdom take over. 
They don't consult emotions to get in on the news because your emotions won't help anything. Properly trained ears might hear the bad report, but they don't rouse the whole body into a frenzy. They just tell faith what they hear and they allow the body to remain in a restful state. Fear isn't consulted. Worry isn't consulted. Reasoning isn't asked for its opinion. Ears hear the faith, hear the facts, and they let their faith take over. John 6:63 says, "It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life." So the flesh profits nothing. So why consult it? The flesh has nothing to add to the situation. What we need in our trials is the words of life that Jesus spoke to us. What we need are the promises of God. And we can train our senses to default to those promises. Senses can learn what conforms to the word of God and what doesn't. So we can actually train them properly. So how do we train our senses to default to faith in the word instead of reacting to our circumstances? First of all, we meditate on God's word. The brain controls the senses, so meditating on the word is a key activity. It's a way to intentionally tell your ears what they will hear and tell your eyes what they will see. So place the word in, of God in front of you. See it with your eyes, look at it, and read it out loud so that your ears can hear the truth. Cause your senses to acknowledge the scriptures. Make them focus there instead of, instead of what's going on in the natural world. It's a simple matter of giving our eyes and ears something profitable to do. And it's what God instructed Joshua in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do, all, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God told Joshua to meditate on his word day and night, for then Joshua's way would be prosperous and he would be successful. It, his success was dependent on his attention that he gave to the word of God. He had to train his mind to think as God thinks. Now, this kind of training is going to involve some work, right? Yes. Work, repetition, time. We train our muscles the same way. We do the same task consistently until we do it habitually. And we develop muscle memory. Most of you have probably heard that, right? You can develop muscle memory. We do physical tasks quickly and efficiently without thinking because we've trained our muscles. And in the same way, we can train our brains to think the word and do so routinely without conscious thought because they were trained to do it. All right, secondly, we can use eyes and ears of faith. See the promised blessing being fulfilled. Imagine it. Let your ears hear yourself proclaiming the promises of God even when you're in the midst of chaos. Did you know, this is so interesting, that your emotions don't distinguish between what is real and what is imagined when they react? So they simply respond to what's on your mind, even if there's no tangible reality to it. So this can work for you or against you. You can manufacture something to fear about and your emotions will comply. Or you can choose to focus on what God said rather than on what you see and your emotions will respond to that too. So what are you focusing on? A quick check of your emotions will tell you. 
Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is a theme verse for us. We have to keep our minds stayed on him. You will remain in peace rather than giving into fear when your attention is on the Lord. Now peace isn't promised if we put our minds on scary circumstances. Whether they're real or imagined, we can imagine ourselves and, and make us ourselves fearful by something that is not even real. And we do it all the time. Sometimes we think, oh, my emotions, they're just going haywire, or I don't have any control over them. But the truth is, we do. We do. They're simply reacting to what we are thinking about. In the same way, you can imagine a wonderful blessing of God that is promised but not yet seen. You can picture yourself using your imagination and your eyes of faith, living in that promised blessing, and your emotions will respond to it as though you were physically experiencing it. That is why just before Joshua took the city of Jericho, God told him to see the victory. In Joshua 6, 1 and 2, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. God wanted Joshua focused on what he had promised, not on the obstacles of what was between that promise and where he currently was. He needed Joshua seeing the situation with eyes of faith, not with his natural eyes. Number three, prayer and fasting. Now when we pray, we pray to a God that we can't see or hear. And when you fast, you tell your body that its demands are not the boss of you. I love that. Stomach, you're not the boss of me, right? You're growling very loud, but I am the boss of you. You teach it to expect that it won't get everything it wants, and then it becomes less surprised when you don't give in to it. In Matthew 17, there's a story about a man who brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples for deliverance, but they couldn't cast the demon out. Jesus came on the scene, and he, of course, was able to cast the demon out and give the boy victory that the disciples had failed to give him. Later, when they got off alone together, the disciples wanted to know why they were unable to deal with the situation. They weren't new at this. I mean, they had been traveling around, preaching in Jesus' name, healing and casting out demons. And they're like, why? What happened here? Why did we fail? And Jesus said it was because of their unbelief. In Matthew 17, it says, when the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, unbelief deals with our five senses. We experience unbelief when we allow what our senses tell us to create skepticism and overcome our faith. We often use the words faith and um, believe interchangeably, but they're actually two different things. Faith is a noun. Faith is something we possess and it's a gift from God. We couldn't be saved without faith and all believers possess it. Jesus said here that all we need to move mountains was a tiny bit of faith, the grain of a mustard seed. But along with faith, the disciples did have unbelief. Believe is a verb. It's what we do with the faith that God gave us. We act on the faith that we have. 
So unbelief then is the state we find ourselves in when we respond to what our five senses are telling us instead of what God is telling us. These disciples responded to what they saw and what they heard rather than responding according to the faith that they had and Jesus told them the remedy for that was prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are both acts that disregard our five senses, what they are telling us is true, and instead we focus on what is unseen. We make our bodies take a back seat when we focus on the Lord. And the more we do this, the more we train our senses and the more to life that they can, they can tell us more about life. Over time, our senses are trained to be silent when we're determined to walk by faith. Prayer and fasting are not means of saying, okay, God, this is what I want, you do it. It's actually, prayer and fasting are ways to get ourselves to move. We move out of a position of unbelief and one in acting on our faith. We learn by prayer and fasting to respond to the Lord and not to our own five senses. So think of that example again of sleeping next to the train tracks. We eventually can get to the place where our ears won't wake us up anymore but it doesn't happen after just one night. It takes repetition and time before our senses learn. In the same way, one quick read of the promises of God isn't gonna leave us in constant peace forever. Picturing your victory with eyes of faith one time isn't enough to sustain your faith. Your eyes and ears must consistently and continually be fed the word of God. Eventually, they will default to this truth. Isn't that amazing? We can do it. Our verse in Hebrews says that our senses, our senses are trained by reason of use. Again, Hebrews 5.14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's just like training a muscle. Again, as we said, when you begin to work the muscle, it hurts, right? It's sore, it's saying, why are you doing this to me? Stop doing this, give me a break. But over time, that muscle is strengthened. Not only does it quit protesting, but it begins to respond in a positive way, and it benefits you more than you had in the past. The same is true of our senses. As you begin to train them, they'll protest at first, like, this is hard. I'd rather just go with what my emotions are saying. They will insist that something is wrong, what you're doing is causing harm, but keep at it. And you will so they'll soon learn the program and get on board they will begin to notice and discern between those evil reports that are contrary to the promises of God and everything that you are moving toward on this journey, and they'll be able to tell what are good reports and should be celebrated. We should always be more focused on the promises of God and his faithfulness on the unseen world than we are on what we can see with our natural eyes. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this, our senses that you've given us, Lord. They're amazing and wonderful. But God, I pray today that you would help us to train them, God, to train them to be obedient to your word and your promises, God, and not what we can only see in the natural. God, help us today to be women of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.